Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com What's up, everyone? It's 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lauren, and today we're joined by Frank Lane from CFN Media. But first, we do have to get into a little bit of cannabis legalization news. So, Tom and Miggy, how are you guys doing? Also joined by Josh Kincaid from The Talking Hedge. How are you guys doing today? Great. Good. How was your 420? Pretty smooth. Hang out with you guys. Yep. Did some Zoom calls with some friends, you know. It's chill. Yeah, Josh, what did you do in uh, Seattle for 420? Fourth year in a row, I did uh, 20 stores on 420. Um, I split it up a little bit this year because of social distancing. So I did 12 stores on the 19th and then another eight stores on 420 uh, just to kind of get a gauge of what uh, was happening in the industry. Cool. That's awesome, man. So uh, what did you find? Like, uh, what was the experience like going to because there's one store in my city. If I want to go to another store, I'd have to go across the river and that's the closest other store, but they may only be open for medical patients because of COVID-19 and also supply shortages. How is, uh, how is going to 12 different stores in Seattle? A lot faster than normal. So usually it's less than four hours and 20 minutes. So about a round of golf, but this year no one's on the road. So I was just flying through it. Um, but you know, it's a little it was pathetic, really, if I'm going to be honest with you, because the online ordering that's required a pre-order was almost non-existent. So I found two decent deals, one being an ounce of flour for $49. But when I got there, it was shake. So oh, wow. that was mislabeled. And then I found some vape carts for uh, $8 for one gram. But when I got there, the guy gave me some flour and he's like, this is this is good, right? <laughs> so he didn't really know what I was talking about. Um, but not a whole lot of deals where that's a little disappointing because generally 420 deals give me an indicator two years ahead of what's going to be the everyday low price. So this might be a little blip on the radar of like, who knows what that means. What do you mean by everyday low price? Because here in Illinois, everyday low price means you're buying for your medical card. So you don't have to pay as much tax as you would as if you're buying adult use. So let me reverse that and say that um, in 2018, what we're seeing at an everyday low price, like a um, an Uncle Ike's, for example, that's a discount retail store in Seattle. So the everyday low price at Uncle Ike's was 420 prices in 2018. Two years ago, the 420 prices are what today's everyday low prices are. Hmm. That's what I've gotten out of doing 20 stores on 420 for the last four years is kind of gauging trends and anomalies and seeing what's available, what the prices are, what's being discounted. And that's just what I've what I've seen. 
Do you think the uh, the COVID kind of put a halt to that as far as like the reductions? Because I remember last year I got a killer deal on some Burnwell uh, for an ounce, and uh, uh, you know it was like half price at the time, and then it marked up. Haven't seen that since uh, any sign of deals of that nature. Yeah, I think you can see from a lot of different analytics companies, whether it's BDS or headset or otherwise, you can see a lot of spikes and then uh, dips. And so people are going out and they're they're stockpiling. California is interesting, too, because they have a minimum, whereas a lot of the other discount uh, states or a lot of delivery states don't have a minimum. So California, $60 minimums, and yet people are purchasing twice that. So they're really going all out. And, and the amount of times they're going and buying isn't reducing. So it looks like they're trying more stuff, a lot more edibles. I think they're stockpiling flour out of fear of combustion for lungs, but a lot more of the the beverages. We saw 100 milligram uh, beverages in Seattle going for $15. So that's a good wow. indicator for for future prices down the road. A little bit more affordable if you want something, maybe not yeah, every day. 100 but- milligram drink like if you put that in 12 ounces and you drank the whole 12 ounces as if you're drinking a beer with the guys, you're screwed. Uh, I mean, most 90% of people are like, I'd be screwed. I mean, like, wait, that's like five times the dose that I need. How come you didn't make these five milligrams? And I could have had like four of them over the course of three hours. What the hell's wrong with you people? Yeah. Well, Josh, you were saying too, you're having issues with the online option. And I found that to be an issue in Washington already. Oh man, it's so easy for mine. Like the hardest part for me buying weed around 420 was that it was really busy at the dispensary and we had to wait in our cars because of COVID-19, but the, um, the, the website that my dispensary has, I just, I ordered it. I had to like sit around until they called my number or, or said, okay, you can go back. And then I'm like, I order for Tom already bagged, already ready to go. I yeah. definitely think that delivery is going to be fast tracked in Washington. It's not legal, but they're going to have to look at that. Cause the only store I didn't actually stop and go into was have a heart in Skyway in South Seattle. There was a line out the door, six feet away. Um, so practicing social distancing, but yeah, I didn't want to stand in line and, and wait. Um, but what I noticed is that 23% of the stores, they didn't even have an online menu option. So in, in a state that's not legal for delivery, you've had months to plan. And in fact, being yeah. in Seattle, I'd say you have years to get five, uh, just adult use years, you know, Thank you. which is yeah. like 35 in regular years. <laughs> yeah. And then not managing your inventory, having 14% uh, having Leafly use their their management inventory, um, I, I would want that control on my own company because of of updating and just you know yeah. customizing. So a terrible experience overall. Well, I, I found too in because uh, I go to the store to get my weed still, and uh, uh, the inventory sometimes don't match what they try to sell you on the page. It's like uh, mm-hmm. Evergreen by my house, uh, all they have the largest they had was an uh, I think an eighth. And I was trying to get an ounce for get ready for 420. And I had to go to other stores. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. That's oh, exactly know. what happened to me, too. Yeah. I tried to get some yeah. some cannabis, and it was like a 420 only. You had to be in the store to get it, so I couldn't even pre-order it. Ended up going to another store for another deal. Mm-hmm. Sounds a lot like uh, supply sh- uh, shortage issues. The uh, entrepreneur uh, guest, TJ Branfelt, we had him on a few months ago. They were reporting that cannabis sales in Florida and Arizona are surging because of the COVID. So, you know, at least you have selection when you can go to one store to another store. Uh, but when the supply is constrained like that, because people are buying it as fast as they can get it, and when they have those discount pricing, 
I mean, they, it got you to go to the store and ask for it. Then they're like, would you like something else? You know, it, it worked kind of. Uh, you're already there. You might as well buy some weed. I think the supply is there. They just don't have the resources to keep up with the changes in what's available. So there should be somebody online managing that all of the time because those those strain names do change out a lot. But it should be available just like any other store. I mean, Amazon, you know, it's it's online only. And they yeah, but you have seed to sale tracking out there, don't you? Yeah, yeah. right. All right. So that, there's an inventory control database already. Why haven't you patched that into your website? You guys are in freaking Seattle. Exactly. I'm sorry. Is Microsoft <laughs> not there? Is Amazon not there? You know, do you need some idiot in Peoria, Illinois to come in and be like, here's how you code websites. See, you patch into their API and then you display that here. Okay, what type of payment gateway are you using? Oh, okay. You sure you're from Seattle? Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. You know, uh, you would think we would have had our shit down by now. Like you said, we had five years. Yeah, and, and I was able to buy uh, in on my website, uh, go right to the store, and then it was like, you can't come in, social distancing. You can wait in your car, though. Yeah, that was it. Mm -hmm. But home delivery is definitely going to be an issue for us. I mean, why haven't they just implemented emergency rules yet? Yeah, I think it's crazy that you can deliver liquor and yet we haven't even talked about you know delivery for cannabis. I think that's an insane proposition to allow for delivery of liquor, but then not even take on that. that home delivery for Are restaurants offering uh, deals on drinks, you know, pickup only because there's restaurants that'll be like, oh, yeah, Wednesday. 50% wine night. And so like pickup only, you'd order dinner for two and then it comes with a bottle of wine. Oh my gosh, what a great deal. You just pick it up from the store and leave. Um, I don't understand why they can't. Uh, well, I mean, it's just pickup only at the dispensary right now. You just pick it up and you leave. But that's that's how it was before. You weren't allowed to hang out at the dispensary and roll one. It's not an Amsterdam style coffee shop yet. Well, that's the unfortunate part is while they may fast track delivery, they're going to have a setback with marijuana lounges. So Washington has a class C felony on maintaining and operating a marijuana lounge, probably the strictest law as it pertains to cannabis cafes than anywhere uh, on, on earth. <laughs> yeah, And you guys legalized first, but look at this. Legalization marijuana might be too complicated for New York lawmakers to do via Zoom. <laughs> well, we're talking about that same type of thing. You know, we're talking about lawmakers doing something like delivery of cannabis, which would be, need to be a statutory amendment in Illinois' case. Uh, can they do that via Zoom? It doesn't look like they're going to get via Zoom uh, cannabis legalization in New York. And I guess that's all right. It gives us an extra year to build the team out. But uh, dang, you know. Why, why is online this, this is being an excuse? as far as not being able to continue progress. I mean, we're talking, you know, and, and I get it. You're going to have 50 people yelling I get at each I'm other. In Illinois. I, because, because of that, I had to go to you, the internet, as it's everywhere. Most people are like, don't you know who I am? I have a cannabis. I'm not spending money on that. You know, they, they, maybe it's just the framework from which they're, they're seeing what they have and they just don't appreciate it. I don't know. Hmm. I just think cannabis always gets the brush to the side as an excuse. Whenever there's an issue for cannabis, it's like, oh, we don't have to deal with that right now. Well, that was the other uh, cannabis legalization news out of Illinois this week, because now they're starting to do research and data uh, on it so that they can release uh, the, these types of studies and see how legalization is uh, evolving. And they said that uh, black people were seven times more likely than wh uh, white people in Illinois to be arrested for cannabis. I'm like... Uh, we would have shared that with you, except the Chicago Tribune says I need to subscribe. Otherwise, I can't read it. So, hey, uh, on one more topic of news, did you guys see that Florida's attorneys trying to uh, stop recreational again? 
uh, this I time. was trying to stop it. It's been stopped to 2022. They were going to try to put it on an executive, I'm sorry, not an executive, uh, a vote. So just like they got medical, they'll have to vote on it. And I think it becomes an amendment. Well, she's trying to uh, uh, just get it stripped off. As I read the article. Yeah, she looks there. like she needs weed. I, I swear to God. Yeah. Her, them that's, in Arizona. Like resting bitch face. That's like a resting bitch face that's constipated. You know, <laughs> she's just, she is, uh, why? What did cannabis do to that poor woman? Seriously, though. I mean, Florida and Arizona are like the two states that you would think they need the most weed. Arizona, uh, I they don't, they're on the ballot. Like Arizona is something that we're going to start doing content on. And I might just be hanging out in Arizona this winter a lot to, to, you know, meet people in the industry and to help some people get some licenses and uh, see what we can do for cannabis over there. But um, they have a ballot initiative that's up and that ballot initiative that passes says that the application window starts in January. I, I mean, it, they have a culture there already. Yep. Well, they're all going to have to look to the revenue, whether there's culture or not. Um, Illinois' pension system is is in terrible shape. So is California's. So whether it's Arizona or Florida, they're all going to be looking towards revenue from from taxation on cannabis right now. So the, the economic downturn and printing trillions of dollars is going to have to have cannabis be legalized, if not at the state level. Uh, every single state, they're going to look at federally um, just for that that tax collection. It's It's inevitable at this point. Well, even what uh, Tom shared in the beginning, as far as like, I'm not surprised by any of these articles whenever you get any type of legalization that there's a boom in the business. I mean, I've always thought that cannabis is recession proof. Well, so the sin stocks are, you can look at gambling going up 117% during the last uh, downturn, defensive stocks like Boeing, um, alcohol, tobacco, they all do go up. But what you have initially is an, an entire collapse, a systemic collapse. And that's because you have people with derivatives. So all of the options, all of the margin, all of the leverage that people use has to be eviscerated in order to reach a true bottom. At that point, you may have a V-shaped recovery with vice stocks or sin stocks, whereas everything else has an L-shaped recovery as it just draws along or some Ws. You know, you have this... Um, a lot of uh, velocity or um, volatility, I mean. So it, it depends. I think you're going to have a faster rebound with cannabis. This is the first time that we can actually test that theory. But if you look historically, sin stocks do better uh, in economic downturns. And then yep. sin, sin stocks aren't sold like commodities. Like I'm, I'm learning about this stuff. Like I was watching trading places and oil, you know, that mm -hmm. recently just happened. Mm -hmm. uh, Cannabis and alcohol, they'll never be one of those things with projected futures, right? That's not. No, you can't. There's, there's, well, there, there are, there's futures on sin stocks, maybe. There's futures on stocks, you know, but then, and then individual stocks have uh, options, but you need a market to make those. And if you yeah. don't have that market to make them, uh, the market's really, really thin or illiquid. And that's where you get like skews. And skews is like the spread between the big and the ask. And that could just be a gulf. And so if you, are buying that option, you're literally buying it for insurance purposes. You're not buying it speculatively. However, like with uh, commodities, there's a lot of speculation in the commodity markets. And then there's certain called delivery. So like with the options contracts in, uh, in America, evidently you need to take physical delivery of it. And that's why the price of the barrel of oil went negative because they literally had to pay somebody to make it their own, somebody else's problem. Yeah. yeah. You can't get delivery on a lot of that anymore. The ETFs for gold, for example, are 65 times oversubscribed. So if anyone is expecting physical delivery, it's never going to happen. Wow. 
But to answer your question, Mickey, yeah, you can go out to any brokerage firm and buy shares. And a lot more are offering what's called fractional shares. So if you can't afford $165,000 or whatever Berkshire Hathaway's uh, selling for these days, you can buy $5 worth and just build your shares. So I used to work for a brokerage company, a, a broker dealer called Share Builder, and that's now a part of E-Trade. But yeah. you can go out and buy $5 worth of anything, any company out there on the market. You don't have to use a broker anymore. But those things out in the market, though, are not cannabis related, at least in American cannabis, right? They are. Yeah, there's there's a lot of. Um, well, so we, we talked offline with Frank, who we're going to bring on in a second. But you can buy cannabis companies in the U.S., but they trade on the OTC or over the counter marketplace in mm. the U.S. while they trade on the big board exchanges like, uh, you know, the Tokyo stock or the uh, Toronto Stock Exchange. Um, so they are available. You just have to kind of look at where they're at. Mm -hmm. and, oh, right on. Let's do that then. Let's bring on the guest. Welcome, Frank. Hey, Frank. Thanks for joining us. What can you tell us more about CFN? I think oh, I think I meet Frank. All right. Well, uh, well, Frank figures out mute. I'm going to share his website here real quick. Uh, CFN Media Group, and another one of these publicly traded. And you can see how it says this right there. The yeah. See. That's over the you know over the counter, and so like if I was going to buy some shares of I don't know Green Thumb Industries or Cresco, uh, they're popular Illinois companies or True Leaf in Florida. Uh, those are probably all OTC. Frank, can we hear you now? Oh, that's terrible. We might need to have Frank uh, rejoin the the actual group. You might have to go out and then come back in. Uh, it's the oldest trick of technology in the world. <laughs> you unplug it and then you plug it back in. And, and eight times out of 10, that fixes the problem. Dude, that's what I do all fucking day. Is that what the, uh, the dispensaries were saying? Like, it doesn't work. Oh, well, we, we fixed it. Well, we probably have to unplug it. You have to unplug your website. Yeah, I, that's, I did feel like that on 420 when I was visiting 20 stores. One of them had to just shut down and wipe everything down. And I was like, this is like a reboot. We just kind of have to just yeah. stop and, and do something. <laughs> All right. Frank, can you hear us? Yes. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Thanks for joining Excellent. us, Frank. Tell us uh, about CFN. Thank you. I, uh, I'm the president and founder of CFN. We launched in 2013, which seems ages ago in the cannabis industry. And we are organized like an agency um, and uh, function like a financial media network, all digital. And we're dedicated to the cannabis and CBD industries. Um, and what we do is we help companies uh, that are in the space uh, attract investors of all types, from retail accredited to professional, as well as funders. Uh, and these companies retain us and we put together digital media campaigns for them. So if you look at our coverage and our content, it's a mix of what I call sponsored content. So that is paid content, but it's very video centric. We try to create a CNBC experience for investors. Mm -hmm. And it's also uh, actual news and stories uh, about the industry to educate investors. So you guys are like a portal for just different companies for everybody to check out. Yeah, and I use the CNBC analogy, even though they're so much bigger, but they're essentially creating content and delivering it to an audience. Now, they monetize it differently. They sell advertising. We're doing the same thing, obviously much smaller, but instead of selling advertising, 
um, we sell services to companies. So investors get a very clean experience. There's no advertising. It's all content. Um, and it's mainly video centric. So investors can see it and hear it directly from the companies, just like w we are today. Fascinating. So uh, where are you guys headquartered out of? So we're based in Seattle. Uh, Pre-COVID, uh, we, we have uh, studios in Los Angeles and Vancouver that we get our uh, clients in. Um, our chief editor is in Denver and our client services is actually in Montana. So we're, we're fairly spread out. And now we're doing a lot of our interviews online, of course, with, with software. Right. That's awesome. Man, that's pretty cool. So um, it sounds like with CFN, you guys do a lot of content regarding the financial news in this cannabis industry. So you're probably fairly on top of trends in the cannabis businesses and industry. Uh, what were the trends? And then, then we'll talk about where do you think it's going to go from COVID. So what were you seeing before COVID? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I want to start with the Canadian market first. Um, and they get to the U.S. And, and the Canadian market, of course, they were the first G7 nation to legalize federally cannabis. So most of the publicly traded companies started there. And the U.S. companies would have to list there to uh, access capital. I talked to an insider yesterday who I really respect. And he told me the real problem is the black market. And he said that the black market in Canada to this day still represents 80% of the sales. I can't believe and that. And it's just, it's How much in Canada? I'm not sure of the pricing, but this is someone who's deeply connected in the industry, uh, who I respect. 80% is still on the black market. And he told me there's class action lawsuits that could develop suing the Canadian government for not shutting down the black market. Um, and so... You know, there's been many problems in the in the Canadian industry, the public markets, but I think it starts there. And uh, now we're seeing delistings, uh, possible bankruptcies in terms of uh, rumors, and lots of M&A. And I think yeah. until they solve that problem, it's it's going to be a difficult market there. So uh, in theory, if I was an American cannabis company and I was facing financial ruin, I would probably have to like restructure myself so that I could be a Canadian company. Uh, and then file for bankruptcy because you can't file for bankruptcy as a cannabis company in the United States. The bankruptcy trustees will kick you right out. Um, you're still involved with the bankruptcy. That was what I used to do in a former life, one of my areas of practice for creditors. But um, so that I've always found fascinating. And now in Illinois, well, in the United States, uh, they may be able to go into a state uh, state receivership, but that's still not exactly the best thing in the world because you have somebody now who may not have controlled the company coming in who the state or whatever regulatory authority, everybody who like owns that company, that cannabis company had to have been approved by that state that granted that license. They didn't approve this, um, uh, this receiver. So I'm assuming that if you tried to file for receiver as a cannabis company, you'd have to give notice to whatever regulatory body granted you the license. And that one, they may, they may revoke your license, which would uh, really stink. But at the same time, what do you do uh, when you see that you're hemorrhaging cash? You're not able to raise cash. We'll talk about the financial markets after COVID. So like you saw this before COVID. 
that uh, some cannabis companies were having a hard time raising cash and may have to restructure themselves by either receivership or bankruptcy. Exactly. And um, I, uh, anecdotally, I have seen um, people that are experts at distressed assets come into this space. And they may not really know a lot about cannabis, but I'm seeing them come into uh, companies that are looking at these distressed assets, buying them very, you know, pennies well, on the dollar. Be, those used to be my clients. And so, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, a lot of my clients would be like, you know, LCM for LLC. Like, you know, they're just they're. It was fun because I'm a. I used to be a stockbroker when I got out of law school. So, like, you got to see this aspect of capitalism, and you're like, huh. So you buy it for two cents, and you squeeze them for the two million bucks you owe them. When can I get in on this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey Frank, turning so, around though in Canada though, the, these companies that are hurting from the, the traditional market though, they're like the larger corporations, right? They're not mom and pop, small, have a storefront type people. These are huge investor type companies, right? That's that's correct. And it's funny. I'm sure if we all looked at their pitch decks early on. They they didn't even account for the black market. They just thought that, um, you know, they would penetrate the the medical and recreational market fully. And I think there were two problems. One is is this supply situation with uh, the black market, but the provinces also didn't open up enough stores. I mean, mm -hmm. Ontario is their biggest populated province, and I think at the beginning they had you know two or three stores, which is you know, just idiocy. They also put on uh, restrictions for marketing. So, you know, these companies couldn't really even directly market to their consumer base, which is odd. Um, and then on the capital market side, you just saw a lot of companies overbuild. Um, they tried to be masters of everything in terms oh, of gosh. going overseas. And, um, and so it's, I think those were the problems. The story is old as time. It's the boom bust. It was like yeah. this This was 400 years ago. We were like, guys, I just spent all my money, but I got a whole bunch of tulip bulbs. I'm going to go make more tulip bulbs and then I'm going to make a lot more money. And and it, they just they still are making that same mistake 400 years later. Uh, but why do you think that uh, these larger companies or cannabis companies or companies in general uh, try to grow too big too fast? Yeah, you know, um, I think the idea of vertical integration in the beginning, um, and maybe uh, some states forced that model. Florida. Um, yeah. I, I think that these companies thought that if they did everything from growing to processing to um, packaging, that they would own everything. Uh, but what we're learning now is you need to, you need to have a core competency. You need to be good at one thing. And um, I, I've seen some cannabis companies like Metafarm comes to mind. They're just an extractor. In fact, they were the first Canadian company to just be licensed to extract, not grow. And they've done well. And it's because they're focused on one part of the whole supply chain. Yeah, they can't do that in Illinois. Uh, if I was going to have a client that wanted to do that business model and they called, I'd be like, well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to get this this grower license. Be like, well, I thought I'd get this this infuser license. Nah, the infuser actually has to buy the extract from the grower. I know it's very confusing. <laughs>
Uh, Canopy, I'll, I'll throw them under the bus for a second and say that the CEO that was eventually let go over at Canopy was phenomenal at you know PR and talking about all of these acquisitions and these potential deals, but none of that generated revenue. So at this time, we need a lot of revenue. And so they let him go. Right. And then on the flip side, you saw Aurora take a billion dollar write down. So as Frank was saying, as they kind of expanded, they weren't really looking. Um, I don't think people were holding them accountable financially. I've seen that from small companies all the way to large companies. The lack of financial accountability in this in this industry is remarkable. So whether it's a billion dollar write down, which is insane, uh, that doesn't happen overnight. So it's, it's yeah. from the board all the way down. But, but think about it. Uh, so what do you do, sir? I sell drugs. And how's business? Oh, not good. I had to write down a billion dollars last year. You sell drugs, but they sell themselves. Well, yeah, but yeah. the cannabis stuff, you know, like that guy's selling drugs and he doesn't have to put up with all the regulation. Uh, oh. it, I can see that being an issue, but then, um, ah, yeah, that's something that we like in Illinois because I think that it decentralizes the industry. So you can have these niche players as opposed to the verticalization, which will happen by itself. Consolidation is name of the game in most uh, most economies. So if you start really, really decentralized with smaller players, you can open it up to more uh, entrepreneurs as opposed to like the Florida model or the Massachusetts model where you had to have $50 million. And then you, I think you're more likely to be into this trap that is, well, what does your business do? Does it sell drugs really? Is that what it does? Or, or do you just sell funding rounds? That's what you really do. You sell investors and then it's it's just all glitz and it's all sizzle and it's no steak. I mean, it's um, well, it's like all, we talked all, about with MedMen. That was kind of their issue, too. But I also think with the uh, in Canada, they started off off edibles were not part of the, the legalization. Am I correct, Josh, with that? I did not familiar with the whole Canadian. Yeah, 2.0 started in October and that allowed for edibles. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, they started off with that, and then also I know you, you kind of discounted the culture part with Arizona, but you know, if you start with a, a culture base, you know, that's your your fan base, that's your your customer, your consumer, and I think a lot of these guys go and drive buying big and saying we are the one, and you just can't do that when it comes to the cannabis consumer because you know uh, at least the, the snobby ones. Yeah, their cash burn is too high. You can see a lot of them pulling back from Latin American operations, which makes absolutely no sense. Because if you're cultivating in a, in a place that has good terroir with low labor, you would continue to silo that product or make it into a longer lasting product like trait. Yeah. And so when they're pulling back, that's a massive leading economic indicator for the Canadian space to say operations aren't as solid. They're not as efficient. And maybe some of those previous acquisitions need to be looked at. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same thing for U.S. companies, Cureleaf going out and buying companies for 800 million, 900 million, right below that $1 billion mark is a red flag to me too. I'm not entirely sure those were all arm's distance length deals anyways. So a lot of this is going to end up either being consolidation or capitulation where they give up or hostile takeovers. Hexo, for example, trading at 46 cents, they've put a lot of money into automation. They were using Wagner Demas technology out of California to roll 40,000 joints. They've got a new technology, Hexo, where they've licensed from somewhere. They're rolling 60,000. And then Miggy, to your point about uh, 2.0 in Canada, that allowed for you know edibles and beverages and concentrates. So they've automated their edible line too, 
Well, if they're only trading at 46 cents, that's a hostile takeover just waiting to happen from somebody like Hershey or Heinz. Mm. You know, somebody is going to be looking at that strategically. Yeah, no doubt. Hmm. But they should. They should. You know, it's that's one of the things. It's uh, it's one of these industries where it is kind of a wild west atmosphere, and nobody really understands um, the game, and they just think there's going to be so much money in it. Yeah, the people five years ago who thought they'd be millionaires and are scratching their heads, going, "I need a, I need a job. I got to go work somewhere." Right. There's, I saw a pitch deck from Canopy uh, in October of 2019, so they just had a pitch deck, and so they were looking for a private placement. So that's essentially just creating new shares to sell to somebody on the open yeah, market at a favorable. We're doing that now. Like we're we're talking to our clients because I'm a I'm a lawyer and a consultant, and so you know, and then also I was a former stockbroker. So I'm like, all right, well, let's get some PPMs going, and then uh, so we talk about how we're going to do the private placement, and then we structure the LLC in such a way that it can have like any type of share that a C corp could have, or or whatever you want to do with the membership unit. You can have it be a, a preferred class. You could have it be non-voting. You could have it be whatever. Uh, and so it gets really fun and, and interesting from a very boring corporate legal aspect. But then at the same time, that is just a tool to make an investment. And that point of the investment is for the return. It's not just so it's like, see, ya, I own some marijuana company now, you know, and you're you're out of money. Uh, that's one of the things that I uh, am hoping that a lot of the clients that I work with will really, really focus on, you know, the rent. It's it's the cash flows that come in. You know, you can't just think about going out and raising money. That's not going to solve your revenue issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's the short reports out there and people don't even plan for that when companies put all of their their efforts into writing a report that's you know going to take your stock price down. So even if Canopy has a 12 to 1 reverse stocks or 1 to 12 reverse stock split, uh, short sellers are going to bring that back down. I think it's like 95% from its all-time highs. And when it does, and they lose 80% more of their market cap, that's just prime for you know one of those other conglomerates to come in and, and gobble them up. So Yeah, but then how are they going to be able to review their, uh, their financial accounting documents? Thanks for tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News, where we talk about uh, financial accounting documents. So uh, let's, let's say they're going over the statement of cash flows, and they're like, this is garbage. You know, and so is that going to be an incentive for a company to come in or are they just going to wait until they can buy it for pennies on the dollar uh, in a Canadian bankruptcy? Well, I think this is pre-bankruptcy pennies on the dollar. Um, but if you look yeah. at property, plant and equipment and it's accretive, they're going to do it. Even if it's not accretive, if it's neutral, it yeah. just gains them uh, a place into the market. Then that's going to be worth it, especially after the billion dollar write off. I'm surprised it hasn't already happened. Did my camera just go all gimpy? Yeah, on? you got a little line thing going That's on. Pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. I think retro looks good. Like, like old school vinyls. Yeah. I, I, the, I, Apple is at least this. Oh, we just lost them. I'm going to leave. Oh, you're back. He's got like those sunglasses with the shades on them. I just a rear view mirror type thing going on there. Hey, Frank, what made you so like, because this is some sexy talk, right? The financials and all this other stuff. What made you decide to create a website, a portal for financiers? Like, are you a is this your previous background in finances or? Great question. So I, um, I've always come from the technical side of, of the universe uh, and in sales. And um, in early 2000s, I worked with a group that made it easier for companies to target press releases on financial sites. So I've always tried to optimize and improve the way financial media 
reaches uh, the public at large. And so in 2013, we saw what was going to happen. We knew that um, that there'd be more and more legalization. We knew that there'd be companies coming in the space that would need to raise capital. But we also knew there'd be a dearth of support by mainstream media and also by um, incumbent IR and PR firms. So we really saw an opportunity to bridge that digital divide to help these companies connect with investors, but also to educate investors and do it authentically using video so that they could see the people. We even would fly into the facilities and film them so investors knew they were real. It's kind of funny. I, I, I like to think of you as like a grown-up high times, like a like a high times in a suit. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to yeah. come out here, give you the information, record this, uh, uh, document the history, because it's kind of what, what, why Tom and I do this too, because you know, there's so much people in the space. Uh, we're having an outlaw industry that's going to a, a regular industry. And I think that's part of the problem too, where, you know, we, the culture versus, Hey, it's just a Tuesday and I want to smoke a joint type people, you know, the wine culture that you know, we're trying to evade. Uh, but your media group, as we're talking in the green room, how uh, you're saying you have your videos because, uh, you know, cannabis faces a social media deficit. You know, uh, there's a hindrance overall for any company. Um, yeah. And I, and I think your pull of videos is a great way, a proof that you needed to create your own space for it. Uh, great point. I remember uh, three years ago, we started testing all of the mainstream uh, social media platforms that would allow any kind of cannabis um, advertising. And it turned out Twitter was the best. And, uh, and so they approved us two years ago and they went through all of our content, our site. They wanted to make sure we weren't selling cannabis, only talking about the financial side. And, and then they allowed us to use their, their network to uh, market our content. And uh, it's interesting, on Twitter, you can actually target a Twitter user that is tweeting about cannabis or following someone else that is, or actually following a specific stock. Um, wow. And so there are, there, the mainstream media is changing a little, but it's mainly still restrictive, um, especially yeah. if you're selling it. Seems a little bit more tolerant. I've, I've got a lot of success with Twitter and then LinkedIn as well. Are you finding any yes. success in, in LinkedIn, Frank? Great point. I am. In fact, I have a LinkedIn um, account and I have about 3,000 what I call influencers. Now, that's not a lot. I, didn't, I wasn't looking for uh, quantity, but it is 3,000 people that are either running businesses or like us somehow involved in the, in the process. And LinkedIn has been really good. That's a, that's a great point. It's kind of wild how Facebook, being one of the bigger ones, uh, has a, a squash on cannabis uh, searches and whatnot. But yet, everybody thinks freaking uh, the coronavirus is caused by 5G and Bill Gates. Uh, Crazy. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, I, I stay away from Facebook. It's like a black hole of negativity and just kind of yeah. seems like you put something in there, it goes nowhere. So I, I stick to you know Facebook uh, or, I mean, Twitter and, and LinkedIn primarily. Well, the thing, about Facebook, the thing about Facebook, though, I mean, mostly for my activism, too, but uh, everybody knows how to use it. You know, old people, um, that's the big thing. They know how to outreach Facebook. Everybody knows what Facebook is. Twitter, I still don't get it. I mean, I, I follow threads and I'm like, I don't know where I'm looking at in the middle of the thread, the top of the thread. You know, I just enjoy quotes. But uh, Facebook is still one of those, I guess, basic needs. But yet we still have that bias. It's kind of like America. 
It's a good tool though for activism because you can get a lot of people to spout off their what they're thinking. You know, they can just see the title and then and then give their opinions. Whereas with finance, you should probably open the article and read it or watch the video. And the people on Facebook just don't have the time for that. So it's it's not the right platform. But Josh, um, okay. Yeah. I'll just say talk to me like I'm five. So like for cannabis investments, say I'm I, I don't have the hundred thousand dollars to invest, but I have a thousand dollars. Where would I start? Well, I'm not giving financial advice, but I will tell you that it, with Vegas being closed, if you do feel like, you know, throwing some some uh, dice down the, the crap table here, uh, now's the opportunity. All of the casinos in Vegas are, are shut down. So with dollar cost averaging, what that means is you can have a set dollar amount, let's say $100 uh, every week or every month. So regardless of what the stock price is, you can look at, um, you know, stock prices that are that are uh, mostly oversold. So there's a percentage on Yahoo Finance, for example, that'll show you, you know, most negative stocks of the day. Right now with volatility, the next day is probably gonna bounce back. So I don't think it's a good time to invest, but as a trader, if you have the time to learn and, and lose a little bit of money, if you're not scared of losing 100% of what you're willing to gamble, um, then take a look at, at some of these prices that are really, really low cannabis companies. I'm not going to name anyone in particular, but they're all really low. Right. And with dollar cost averaging, as prices go down, you buy more shares. As prices go up, you're able to buy less with the same dollar amount. Um, but now's a decent time to to gamble. But like for a digital coin, I use a Coinbase. I mean, like we're talking eTrader. Is that a basic one where cannabis stuff is on that platform? Is there a biasness in the trading platforms against cannabis? I think, well, it's, it's more age. I, I, you know, if someone who's older is going to use a Scott trade or TD Ameritrade, someone who's younger is going to use Robinhood. Um, the disadvantage of Robinhood is that if you're using a lot of money, they're going to front run on you, meaning they're selling your trades to a high frequency trader. So, uh, if, if that doesn't matter, if you're only doing $5 at a time, who cares? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's a yeah, yeah. free. And by the way, if, so, if something's free, you're the product. That's, mm. that's just kind of common sense. Yeah. Um, but no, there's no real difference. I mean, if you're looking at cryptocurrency, I like Ethereum because the Ethereum partners have a lot of partners from, you know, Microsoft to banks. Um, but I also like some of the more nondescript. I stay away from Bitcoin. I just think there's no difference between Bitcoin and a regular equity. Uh, there's a lot of manipulation that can occur with Bitcoin. So I look at Litecoin as an opportunity and, and Ethereum. Yeah, definitely. But uh, so you're so as far as you know, there's no biasness though on the digital platform. So like everybody likes cannabis money when it comes to the trading platforms, but the banks just don't like to uh, back it up, right? Right. That, right on. And, and Frank, uh, what are you what are you looking at as far as stocks and what's what's out there right now? Well, you know what's been interesting to me, aside from the stocks, uh, is the private market. Um, a lot of the private companies that are trying to raise capital, they can't go to the funds that, that were set up for the cannabis industry because those funds are just, they're no longer funding and the portfolio companies they have, they're just making sure they're solvent. So what's filling that void are um, platforms. And you've got a regulation called uh, crowdfunding mm -hmm. that allows all companies to raise up to $5 million dollars from retail investors. These investors can actually raise as little as, uh, invest as little as $25. And we're seeing mainstream crowdfunding platforms like Republic that will help any kind of company now take on cannabis deals. And these companies are starting to announce that they've raised capital through this. Hmm. Um, and there's 
also accredited investor platforms where you have to meet a criteria of um, assets and income, and then you you are you're able to view on an online platform, so you don't have to go and visit anyone. Um, deals that are um, designed for accredited investors. So I I'm seeing those two types of funding very interesting. You can do it online, and um, they're they're not in the public markets. Is that regular crowdfunding? Yeah, he was saying that Reg A was the exemption to Rule 144 that limited 35 accredited non-accredited investors a year. And mm -hmm. so with Obama passing that Small Business Act, allowing unlimited amounts uh, of non-accredited investors. Um, limited yeah, amount of capital raised, though, right? I've, I've heard that it's exactly. currently one million, but they're saying going up to five. Cool. Yeah, like, but I would imagine, you know, Frank, your platform is probably a good opportunity. There's capital constraints left and right. So with companies that are looking for private placements and special deals, there's not a lot of opportunities to advertise and to raise capital. So I would imagine you're even in higher demand right now. Precisely. If I look in the last six months, our typical client has been a private cannabis company that's already making money. They might not be profitable, but they're in business making money. And now they're raising expansion capital, usually under 5 million. And for that, they really need to aggregate accredited investors. And uh, some have a 506C where they can broadcast uh, and solicit generally, but only accept investment from accredited. And we can run those marketing campaigns. And now what we're doing is we're working with the platforms that actually facilitate the transaction and they list the company and then we'll drive the traffic, the is investor traffic like a to the secure platform. Room? Yeah. Is it kind of like one of those secure rooms that they then do the due diligence on for the actual uh, transaction? Can nobody hear me? I don't okay, hear you. I don't think Frank caught it though. Okay. About a, about a yeah, I did room. not hear that. Oh, weird. All right. Can you well, hear me? I can yeah, hear you. Right. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> But uh, he was saying it's uh, like a secure room. I don't know what that reference is, Tom. Right. Uh, when they're doing these deals like that, then they usually have it what they call like a right. secure room. Right. And these, uh, yeah. some of these platforms do have a secure deal room where right. you have to be accredited in order to log in and view the deals. Um, but then, of course, there's crowdfunding platforms where you can be an everyday retail investor um, and look at uh, the platform and the deals there. Do you guys see anything after uh, like any uh, – special interest rising right now like i know i would say like i don't know but i would say like right now media it's all about cannabis media if you want to be involved uh reach out and like you have the prime media group there frank so uh people online are already ahead of the game but what's after this what do we see uh the next investment you think you guys be i think frank already mentioned it with value investors or vulture investors um looking at property plant and equipment so as real estate investment trust starts to uh, crack a little bit if there's any price declines in commercial real estate and people stop paying rents for example oh, that's like you realize you don't need an office <laughs> yeah great right? point so those those vulture funds are going to start coming out looking at distressed assets, distressed property, plant, and equipment. Why would you go to Maryland or Florida when you can come to Colorado or Oregon and buy the experience, the SOPs, the branding, and have all of the property, plant, and equipment for a fraction of the price 
than if you were to start in Massachusetts or wherever else. I think there's going to be a new surgence into the U.S. as the Canadian marketplace has been speculated and overpriced for a long time as their break-even points are $1.74 per gram until they restructure that through bankruptcy or reorganization. U.S. is going to be looking really, really nice to a value investor as they hover around as vultures. Hmm. When you guys look at investments and the company's asking, are you looking at individually like state by state? Because I'd imagine like say here in Washington, uh, I, somehow I think uh, it's so fucked up. We're actually protected. You know what I mean? Like the 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 people, <laughs> like it's just so layered with bullshit that, that the people already in the market have been hurting already. Like when Willie's Reserve pulled out a couple months ago before the uh, the, the coronavirus kicked here, uh, you know there was a decision by a larger company to pull out of a whole state. Like what the fuck was up with that? And what did they do with those assets that were here locally? Yeah, Willie's private reserve pulled out because no one was buying it. Um, that kind of makes sense. I don't think What's shit. What's that? No, it wasn't shit. Products. No, it's just that people just weren't buying it. It's it's so competitive. I think North Seattle is one of the most competitive places in the entire North America. Um, there's people that share the same parking lot, 20 stores within five minutes of one another. So, you know, I think that uh, there's going to be that consolidation as there's an inability to differentiate these products. What from about the consumer? Other. Is the consumer still just as consumers are price THC quantity? Convenience. It's yeah. convenience. And the you know, number one question is what's the highest THC at the lowest price? But consumer behaviors is about uh, value and convenience. Hmm. And, and the thing about here at Washington, too, is because it's not vertical, uh, we had, like Willie's Reserve. It wasn't Willie's Reserve's farm. It, and that's the part of the branding that I've always been pissing me off out here in Wivofo too. Because when it was medical, certain farms, certain grows, that's the guy's stuff I wanted. That's where I went to on purpose. And here it's more like labeling and, uh, you know, like one of the big concentrates, oleum, it's not their farm. It's just a process that they own. Right. So what can offer the most benefit? It's going to be your distribution channel. So a multi-state operator, for example, in Washington state, we have have a heart. Have a heart just got bought by an Arizona based company for $85 million. Um, We can hear you, Frank. Yeah. Okay. Frank. Yeah. I don't think you can hear us. You can't hear us. Oh, it's a client. Oh, you know, it might be his, uh, his uh, his phone phone call is what's happening. He's using, Uh, he's using his iPhone. So I think he's getting a phone call while he's getting it. I've gotten a couple, you know, people, they just think that I sit around waiting for their call and they, I don't Uh, just, if people are watching, wondering if they should just call me out of the, no, no, you you should email (laughs) me and we can set up a call. Yeah. But but to answer your question, when you said, uh, you know, where are people going to go? They're going to look for where the value is at. Um, but ultimately, I think that uh, it's going to look at your state. If you have a multi-state operator, that's going to be where it is. But uh, the Arizona-based company that bought Have a Heart for eighty-five million liked the idea that Have a Heart went out and bought 12, um, 12 different states, twenty licenses in twelve states. Yeah. So uh, they had one hundred seventy-five million to go run around and play with. They only were acquired for eighty-five million. So I don't know where the difference was at. If they lost uh, it entirely, or if it just wasn't spent, I don't went know. Went into the shareholders' pockets. A lot of it did, I'm sure. Possibly. Well, and has got a rich history, and I was wondering too because the store up here by my house changed its name to a cannabis store, and I was like, what happened? Because uh, as Josh, you remember when they were being shaked down for taxes uh, when it was medical? Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by the rich history. You know, this guy was doing well enough. He was being shaken down for millions. Yeah. And then um, now he's multi-state person, like you said. Well, now he's probably floating in a boat in the goddamn Caribbean. But. 
Well, you know, we should all be so lucky, right? But that's that perpetuates the marijuana millionaire myth. It's just not accurate. Um, not for all. No. Well, I mean, no. not for us. And I can't believe the technical issues that we had on this one. And for right now, I don't know why, but my computer's not even charging. And then Frank's off. So I'm assuming what happens is uh, the man is watching. And so, like, the man's, you know, screwing with us. Clearly, it's like, oh, we have to surveil these people. Well, someone should be surveilling Miggy. That's for sure. Somebody's hey, not- been surveilling Miggy for a while. Yeah. It's not paranoid. It could be true. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Oh, wait. Frank's back. Frank, can you hear us? Hi. So, sorry about that. Frank. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you fine. So let's talk about, uh, before we w- wrap this up, uh, where do you see the cannabis market going now that COVID is uh, here and it probably is just going to be hanging around like the flu virus? Great question. Um, you know, I wish I had a clear answer. I think there we're seeing some good things uh, that COVID has uh, brought to the industry in terms of making it essential in some states, which is good, um, and also forcing uh, both governments and companies to be agile to allow for curbside pickup and delivery, which is also good. Um, but I think the problems are on what we've seen. I think someone mentioned it here in New York They've put off uh, their program because of budget limitations. But I think other states, when COVID is over or better, will realize that um, you know having a cannabis legal program will help them increase their tax receipts. And a lot of states are going to be, probably all states will need more tax receipts. So um, I see some good and bad there. Um, I also feel like there needs to be a catalyst on the federal level. Um, there's obviously more states going legal helps the industry and Mm. hopefully that'll happen, but there's gotta be some, some federal movement, whether it's the safe act, um, whether it's, um, the Moore's act, the, the problem is we have an election coming up. So not only do we have COVID, we've got an election and that creates a lot of uncertainty. Um, and so it's, it's difficult. It's like driving in a snowstorm right now for me. It's difficult to see ahead. I know that there's better times ahead, but it's difficult to know exactly when that will happen. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, sometimes you like to be flat in the market and just like, oh, I'm going to wait and see how this shakes out. But um, I'm pretty sure that it's going to still be a, a different world in the sense that fewer people are going to be hanging out. And it'd be great if we can get back to passing joints again. Yeah. It's interesting looking at, at at the anxiety, right? The sales of joints have gone down because you don't have that puff, puff, pass scenario. Right. But also, if you look at a uh, northern town in France and then uh, Greenland banning the sale of alcohol because of uh, they cited in Greenland the child abuse. They cited in France that they didn't want people drinking at home with children. So that's a pretty large statement to make. So I think between CBD and COVID, I think it may be the gateway for more users of cannabis in general. Mm-hmm. So my crystal ball is going to say that we're going to have a lot more users, that there's going to be a fact tr- fast track for delivery as well as for banking, which will lead to uh, government legalization, uh, all to the tune of dollars. Really right. not about I, still think, I still think we're at least five years out on schedule one, descheduling. But if you have safe banking and then suddenly, because like there's still only 11 out of the 50 states have full adult use laws and the medicinal laws that are there, some of them aren't that that established, you know, and that mature. Like the mat- most mature medical one that I'd say that doesn't have adult use is probably Florida, Arizona. 
uh, and and that's probably going to change for Arizona this fall. But um, yeah, I think it's it depends on like what you call a medical state. And if I call a medical state someplace where you can actually go and buy cannabis flower for pain, there's still not all that many medical states like that. So if the banking was there, then there would be less objection and the industry could grow faster. But I think that would also expose then because a lot of these private placements that they need, I mean, I realize like Facebook in 2012 and whatnot, but yeah, sure. I mean, there's still going to be the people that don't want to take your company public, but if you could access banking at the reasonable rate that other businesses do, you know, it's, it'll just help. Yeah. And on a positive note though, this year, cannabis is not as taboo as it used to be as a hot issue in election years. You yeah. Know? I, I bet it still doesn't come up at the debates. Oh no, no. I mean, I'm just saying though, like, I mean, we had Bernie who made it so far. Oh, just, you know, that touting that COVID would have hit three months earlier. He would have oh, been nominee. Yeah. Well, Let's hope. (laughs) About that time? Yep. Yes, it is. Josh, Frank, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, Josh, where can we uh, find the talking hitch? Not sure if Josh can hear you. Uh oh. Oh, I'm here. Ah! (laughs) I'm still here. I'm hanging on for for dear life. Josh, where, where can we find the talking hedge? Talking Hedge is basically on every podcast platform. Oh, cut out by the man. And Frank, where can we find CFN? Yes, it's Cannabis FN. That's Cannabis Ephesin Financial and is in network.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining yeah. us, Frank. Thank, you, Thank you all. Have a terrific day. Thank you. Good deal.